<laughs> Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 285, and it's called We Hung Our Harps. But before we talk about harps and hanging our harps, this weekend we released my new film. It's called An Introduction to Joy, and it's on YouTube, and you can watch it now. Uh, last year I did a tour, the Introduction to Joy tour, and went to 40 cities or so around the world, and the second to last show was here in Los Angeles, and we filmed it, and uh, now you can watch it. So I know it says Joy, Introduction to Joy, um, but the film's about death, loss, pain, suffering, the fragile fleeting temporary and permanence of life. We're all going to die maybe soon because that's how you get to the joy. Um, and that was where the whole idea came from for the tour and the film was my own experiences um, with the unsettling pain and unexpected devastation that life can bring. And how do you even, how do you even begin to enjoy this experience when, you, when it can turn on you that fast? And so um, the film is about what I've learned over the years about this. An Introduction to Joy is the name of it, and it's on YouTube. So there. Um, what a thrill to release something like that into the world. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about harps and the hanging of harps, and I want to name something that's in the air. And uh, I'm, I'm seeing people ever so gradually feel their way into this I actually think we're on the front edge of it, and it's going to get really intense here quite quickly, and so I want to name it now, and I want to show you from the ancient tradition what it is and why it's so important to understand what it is and how it works, because it's where we're headed. Now, was that mysterious and cryptic enough? <laughs> so um, what I'm going to do is start with an ancient text, and then we're going to talk about America— and we're going to talk about countries that aren't America. So all of you who aren't Americans, this is about you. And all of you who are Americans, this is about you. Because there's something happening. And, um, you know, we just need to talk about it. But to do that, I want to show you um, what the ancient pattern is. What the ancient practice is. It's almost like you, you see it somewhere else. So you can spot it and name it. Then you look at your own space, your own context and suddenly maybe you see things that you didn't see before. So let's go way back. Let's go 2,500 years back um, to, a, to a river in Babylon um, to where a poem, a song, a psalm was written. In the middle of the Bible are, are a collection of psalms. Some of them are songs, poems, rants, prayers. But here's one, Psalm 137. Um, let me read you just the first few lines of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There, on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Yeah. Whew. 
Man, I mean, this is a legendary psalm. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Now, you know the story, because I've been telling you this story over the past several of months. These former slaves end up building a new empire in Jerusalem. They're literally using slave labor, Solomon, King Solomon is, to build a temple to honor the God who rescues people from slavery. The prophets rise up. Solomon is building storehouses. He's building military bases. He's become an arms dealer. Instead of caring for the vulnerable, you have a widening gap between rich and poor. The wealthy are using more and more of their resources simply to protect their surplus and stockpile while the needy get sold for a pair of sandals, as one of the prophets say. So the prophets rise up, and the prophets call out this systemic injustice. They say, yeah, this is like a hut in a field of melons. They have zero respect for this corrupt leadership structure, which has forgotten its primary responsibility to use its wealth to care for those who need the most care and the most help to build a safety net. Instead, you have a widening gap between rich and poor. You have more and more energy and resources being spent on protecting with violence the stockpile. And the prophets say, if you do this, your whole thing's going to collapse. It's going to collapse. And then it does. The Babylonians come along, the global military superpower of the day. They crush Jerusalem. They crush these people and haul them away into exile, miles from home, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Zion's another word for Jerusalem. It's like that ache of, oh, we had it so good and we blew it. Oh, if I could do it all over again. Remember when we, we were surrounded by all that goodness and blessing, but we didn't use it to care for those who are in trouble, who are the most vulnerable. And because we didn't, our whole thing collapsed. You could argue they were conquered from the outside, but the whole thing collapsed from the inside, right? That's what happens when you're in empire mode. Because what's true about empire at a larger, you know, socioeconomic nation-state level is true for individuals. Greed, an insatiable drive for more, more, more. Um, you may get crushed from the outside, but often we collapse from the inside. Exhaustion, despair. You just pushed and pushed and pushed, trying to earn their approval, trying to get more, trying to accumulate, trying to stockpile, and, and it wasn't sustainable. It's actually one of the, one of the um, prophets said, you know why you went into exile? Because you didn't give the land the rest it needed. Yeah, so one of the prophets said, oh yeah, the, the, a widening gap between rich and poor, the, the oppression of the, of the needy. Yeah, 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 but you didn't get, take good care of the earth. And so the land like vomited you out. It like spewed you out because you didn't care for the land well. Yeah, that's why your whole thing collapsed. So they end up by a river in Babylon. We sat and wept when we remembered where we come from. There, next line, there on the poplars, like a tree, there on the poplars, we hung our harps. Oh, so it's this image of a branch of a tree and somebody reaching up with their harp and hanging their harp 
on the branch of a tree. Now, why is the harp significant? The harp was an, a massive symbol at that time of a particular ordering of the world. So, uh, go back 2,500 years ago to a, to a person living in this Jewish nation at this time, and imagine that your life is arranged spatially and geographically. So, the divine dwells in the temple. The temple exists on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is in Jerusalem. So where am I? Which way is Jerusalem? Jerusalem is that way, that way, that way. So where, I mean, the whole earth is the divine's butt, honestly. Where is the real magic? Where is the real mojo? Where, where is the real center of things? Oh, Jerusalem, obviously. And where in Jerusalem? Oh, the Temple Mount. Yes. And what on the Temple Mount? Well, the Temple Courts. And what on the Temple Courts? Well, the Outer Courts, the Inner Courts. And what? Well, in that, you have the temple, the actual building. And the temple building is what? Oh, there was an outer holy and then an inner holy of holies. So can you see how there was a spatial organizing wherever you were in the world, you knew which direction Jerusalem was. And if you're in Jerusalem, you knew where the temple was. And if you knew where the temple was, that's, that's how we orient ourselves. The divine being in our midst. And in the temple area were a number of people whose job was to play the harp as a way of, like, worship, as a way of singing about this particular ordering of the world. You see why the hanging of the harps is so devastating? The hanging of the harps, it's like coded language for the whole way that we'd ordered our world doesn't exist anymore. The temple, that got like burned, destroyed. The priests, what? The the nation, the government, what? What? None of that. We're we are miles from home. We are enslaved essentially in a foreign land. Remember that would then have reminded them of their ancestors in Egypt. We're we're back where our ancestors started, miles from home, captives. And then like it says, when our tormentors demanded songs of joy, when our captors asked us for songs. So if, if, if you have a captor, you're captive. If you're captive, you're a hostage, you're a slave. Yeah, our tormentors, so they're, they're experiencing some form of torment, abuse, etc. Yeah, how did we go from Jerusalem? Our King Solomon had palaces, built this gleaming temple, had these beautiful gardens. We were building military bases, Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer. We were buying and selling arms from the Egyptians, horses and chariots. We were like building a pretty impressive thing here. And now we have none of it. And we're weeping by a river in some place that doesn't even, if our God is so great, if our ordering of the world is so great, these people who conquered us and hauled us away, they couldn't care less about our ordering. They just, just they just, flicked it with their finger, destroyed the thing, and hauled us away. Do you see how Psalm 137 is a, it's a prayer, it's a dirge, it's, it's a feeling? Do you see that? Do you feel that? It's a feeling of being far from home. Yeah, this is also called exile. Exile can be a geographic, you're literally miles from home, but exile can also be a condition of the heart. 
You know what I'm talking about, right? You might be in the same place you've always been, and yet you feel you feel like you're standing at a distance from your own life. Exile is whenever you wander from home. Oh, by the way, exile is when we go looking for validation and approval and legitimacy from somebody. And we're looking for them to give something that they can't give, or if they give it, it doesn't, doesn't do for us what we thought it was supposed to do. Yeah, that's when you wander from home. Yeah, that's, that's when we wander from home. Whenever we wander from the love that has been ours the whole time, and we go looking for it in other places to validate us, to make us feel legitimate, yeah, we're wandering from home. Because yeah, you've always had that love. So yeah, exile. Exile can be about a nation state. It can be geopolitical. It can, it can have a psychological component. It, it is a spiritual condition of being far from home. And in Psalm 137, there on the poplars we hung our harps. We have nothing to sing about. And the, what good is a harp? The harp, was, the harp was in the temple, and the temple was how we ordered our world. And that order doesn't work. Nothing works like it used to. None of the old ways of ordering of guiding us, of showing us what matters and what doesn't. Uh, none of it works anymore. It's just been burned to the ground. There's a word for this. There's a word for this feeling in Psalm 137, this experience of exile, this far-from-homeness, this sense of loss. Ah, when we remembered Zion, the word for it, this psalm is a lament. It's a lament. Yeah. Some people believe that actually half of the Psalms are laments. There's somebody crying out, giving expression to something they've lost. Some sadness, some shock, some disorientation, some feeling they are being overwhelmed with about what they had and how it got taken away. There's one psalm that begins, why do you hide your face from me forever? <laughs> it's like, why does goodness, why does peace, why does security hide its face from me? <laughs> oh, yeah, this is actually what healthy spirituality looks like. It's how healthy human beings function, is you give expression to all of it. But this is a lament. By the way, there's interesting etymology surrounding the word lament. Um, you know, where does it come from? What's it mean? But, uh, but some argue that it's simply lament is just la-ment, like testament, commandment. It's a la-ment. And la is just the word of like loss or suffering. La, right? It's just an ancient la. Yeah. It's like a sadness. It's like a death of some sort. It's like a letting go. It's like, what happened? It's like a confused ache. Yeah, it's a lament. It's a lament for something that has been lost. And all of the confusion and ache and devastation and questions that come with that. It's a feeling. It's an expression. It's a sound. It's a lament. Now, that psalm, it's what, 2,500 years ago? But I take you there first 
because there there is this ancient need from time to time to lament. So now let's go to 2020. My basic premise here is that what you are, what is in the air is actually we're on the front edge of a massive lament. In, in one sense, with this pandemic, we had uh, just people scrambling. You know, how can you do things on Zoom? Wait, the kids are what? Home all day? Wait, we're not going to an office? Wait, we're not... Wait, how? Like all that, right? We had that scrambling. Um, then we gradually had, like, how does this work? How long will this be? Um, then you started having those, like the announcements came, like uh, schools not going back to a building this fall, that sort of thing. So just these endless adjustments. Um, then we had like, well, when this goes back to normal, then you had that gradual sinking feeling like, oh, wait, I don't think we're going back to normal. We're going back to some other new world after this, or this will just blur into the new future or how that's even going to work. Um, but I would argue that particularly in America, besides the disorientation, the anger, the anxiety over work, jobs, the death toll, people who have literally lost loved ones to this coronavirus, that what's actually brewing is a lament, and specifically a lament for America. Because what we, what we now know is that America is terrible at pandemics. Are you with me on this? Um, yeah. And so people are naming the facts of it, the outrage, the shock, um, the anger that, that this one particular country, the United States of America, is so bad at the basics of dealing with a pandemic. And if you're an American and you're looking around at the world at how much better other countries are at this, America's 4% of the world's population and we're 30% of its cases. And by the way, for those of you who aren't Americans, we're going to get to you in a moment because this is about you too. Hang in there. <laughs> Yeah, so what's happened and what's been revealed in a very apocalyptic way is that Americans aren't very good at this, including our government. Uh, a number of nations got this virus at the same time as America, namely South Korea and others, and had, like, plans that they enacted. I mean, I say that like it's the most radical thing ever. They had plans and, like, did it. And lots and lots of countries are getting back, like, getting back to business, literally, and this past week, America had its highest rates ever of people getting the disease, of people dying. In America, we've literally had protests against scientists and experts. We, we literally have people who have taken to the streets to stand against facts. And these pictures get beamed all over the world. I was talking to a woman a couple weeks ago who lives in Tokyo, and she was saying that the Japanese are utterly astonished by how Americans are behaving in this pandemic. And I said, like, what do you mean? She said, well, in Japanese culture, your starting point is an honor, a respect for the dignity of other human beings. So that like, your starting point is the goodness and, and your actions towards others, you would never want to harm somebody or in any way inhibit their vitality. So a face mask for the Japanese is just a basic starting point. Of course you'd wear a face mask. You, you would never want 
your own actions to inhibit the life or the health of another. So she said the fact that in American culture, literally the wearing of masks has become politicized. She's like, the Japanese are just completely, just completely blown away with this. Who are these like ignorant, unaware, <laughs> shockingly barbaric people who would make a political issue of wearing a masks, wearing a mask. We literally had a European ban recently on Americans coming to Europe. When was the last time, do you remember, a ban on Americans being let into countries? We are in new territory. We are in new territory. And during, I don't mean to laugh because it's so horrific, because sometimes you have to laugh at how absurd it is, right? And how maddening it is. We literally have a president on the days of the highest contraction of the virus yet, months and months and months and months into that, selling beans in the Oval Office. So, I would argue that there's a lament in the air for America. It's a lament for a nation that once saw itself as a global leader but is demonstrating a shocking inability to handle itself. Other countries are the adults in the room. Now, there's another layer to this. There's another layer. We obviously have, in no other country, do the police kill this many innocent civilians. In, in other countries, you do not have a direct pipeline of military-grade assault weaponry being handed to local police forces to be used on its own citizens. Life expectancy in America is three to five years less than other comparable first world countries. 25% of the world's population, of 25% of the world's prison population is in America. America's 4% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prison population. We have 2.3 million people in prison. So it isn't just the handling of the pandemic, but... There are other things just below the surface that are being exposed in new ways. America, if you can even, I mean, tr uh, try to imagine this. There are portions of the American prison system that have been privatized. Just, just pause for a minute and try to absorb that. Privatized prisons. These are businesses that make more money the more people are put in prison. Are you with me on this? There are companies that profit over more people going to jail. Is there any country that pays higher taxes and gets less for those taxes? The major first world developed countries all got together to make mutual commitments about how they were going to take concrete steps to take better care of the earth, uh, the Paris Accord. America pulled out of this agreement. <laughs> are you with me on this? Yeah. A lament for a nation that is, literally you have news clippings, you have news headlines about America being the undisputed leader, and then it lists in deaths 
in new COVID cases, um, the undisputed leader in the inability to come up with any sort of coherent plan to deal with a pandemic when other countries had a plan, enacted a plan, are literally on their way back to normal. My friends, below the surface here, what you are beginning to feel is a lament for a nation that was unable to develop in some key ways health and wholeness that were necessary for the next stage of its own growth and evolution. And now you have the world going, what happened to you all? Yeah, it's time to lament. It's time to lament. Here, here's, here's how to get at the heart feeling of a lament. How many of you thought we were farther along? Have you ever had this? Uh, maybe a loved one or somebody you knew? Uh, you thought they were in one place, and then they made decisions, or one day they told you what they really think, and you had that feeling like, oh... Or you find out what they've been doing, and, and just now they've told you about something, and you're like, oh, I thought they were, I didn't think they were, I thought they were in a different place than they are. Have you ever experienced that feeling? I thought they were farther along. Whew. Yeah, you're lamenting the loss of how you thought things were. The 2016 election for tens and tens of millions, or hundreds of millions of people around the world was like, wait, this is where America is. Remember that feeling? Yeah, yeah, that's a lament. That's a, the, the 2020 primary, the Democrats, this is the, can this is the best. We scoured the country, and this is the best candidate with the most fresh vision for a new life together. Yeah, if you're feeling that, like, this is the best we can do, lament. That's what that is. That's a lament is when, when you've lost something. A lament is when you realize that something or someone isn't as far along as you wish it was. Yeah. Remember at Memorial Weekend, those pictures went all over the news of those Florida beaches that were just crammed full of people? Remember seeing those and being like, wait a second. This is a global pandemic. We're on quarantine lockdown, and that Florida beach is jammed full of people who are being interviewed and saying things like, I'm not going to let some stupid virus get in the way of my spring break, right? Remember that? You're like, ooh, this... And then the governor wouldn't shut the beaches down because the governor's friends with the president. Remember all that? And you're like, and now that's the state with the spiking rates. A lament. Here's the lament. If you're an American... If you're an American, you have a U.S. passport, then Florida is us. Shout out to all you in Florida, by the way. Nothing but love, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Us. Yeah. One body. If we all share a passport, then we're all one body. Yeah, and sometimes what you're feeling right now is a lament. You're lamenting that we aren't as far along as you wish we were. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. See, here's, here's the thing about love. 
is you have to love what is, and that can be very, very difficult. That's why progressives can become easily as narrow and brittle and mean and nasty as the people on the other side, is because without love, it's just people shouting at each other and despising each other and treating each other with contempt. So love meets everybody where they're at. Yeah, and that, that requires a breaking open. That requires a transcendent inbreaking of spirit. Because otherwise you're just angry that why don't they get it? Oh, they're so ignorant. Those people are literally arguing against facts. And it is easy to build up such tremendous resentment and bitterness and contempt. But what a lament does is it releases all that to, oh, oh, I thought we were so much farther ahead and we're not. So we have to meet everybody where we're actually at. I have to make peace in some way. Now, it doesn't mean I don't want to coax the whole thing forward. It doesn't mean we're calling things out. It doesn't mean we abandon truth, reason, enlightenment, facts, scientists, etc. But it does mean at some point you have to, at some deep level of soul, make peace for where things actually are. Now, let's take this a step farther and talk about order. I've never really been that patriotic. Uh, maybe you're like this. You're grateful for all the things that you've been told to be grateful for in America, freedom, democracy. Yes, love it. Fine. Great. Thanks. But here's the thing about America. Going back to the harps, the story that America has told about itself, the story that we've told about how the world is ordered, whether the story was true or not, a number of you are a step ahead of me. You're like, wait, Rob Bell, America was never that great. I'm totally with you. Wait, Rob Bell, remember the 80s? Yes, I do. Okay. So this is not some like, we used to be great and now we've fallen. It is the fact that our psyches, our minds, need some form of order to function. And for a while now, the world has been ordered in a particular way. For good or bad, for true or not, there has been an order to things. Whether you're American or not American, there's a way we've all sort of, yeah, this is how it works. This is how things are ordered. But I argue that part of this lament, watching America fumble this thing on such a colossal global scale, 4% of the world's population, was it 30% of its COVID-19 cases? It's not just a lament for how horribly American is, America has handled this. Part of the lament is the disorientation of the world not being ordered like it used to. You with me on this? Yeah, do you, do you feel that? Wait, I used to kind of think I knew how it would... America, you know, innovation. You know, America, the place where, like, you can go and, like, sort of make your dream happen. You know that? By the way, there is an index that rates countries on their health and their what's called social mobility scale, um, which is essentially health, business, education. Like, what countries can you go there and basically work your way up? Um, and some also call it the American Dream Index. Are you with me on this? Like, what are the countries where if you just go and get a job and work hard, you can, you know, climb the ladder? Uh, America isn't even in the top 25 nations in the American Dream Index. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a lament. Yeah, what you're feeling is a lament. Now, um, 
order can also contain disorder. Like your crazy uncle, right? Your crazy uncle who's going to show up at Thanksgiving. He might be slightly drunk. He might say a bunch of really offensive, right? So you went to Thanksgiving and you knew your crazy uncle was going to be there and he was going to bring some disorder to it. You might secretly have loved it. Like, I can't wait to see what happens this year. I can't wait to see what drama, who he offends. But nevertheless, you know that your uncle's going to bring disorder, but what that actually exists within a sort of order. Here's the order of things. Crazy uncle is probably going to bring some disorder. Do you see how the disorder occurs within a larger order? Yeah, we do this all the time in all sorts of situations in our lives. We map it. And this happens here. This happens here. They function like this. They usually do this. We're endlessly looking for patterns. We've been doing this for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years to keep us alive. So part of what's happening right now with this lament is the order is getting rattled about how the world functions. Well, if the U.S. isn't the superpower, then are there new superpowers? Wait, if, if the U.S. can be this bad at something, what else is coming? Like, other countries had, before the pandemic, financial structures, like, had safety nets, had, like, a plan and enacted it. Are there more things coming? Are there, are there more crises and emergencies coming? Maybe ones we don't even know about? Will we be terrible at those too? Will we be caught flat-footed? Will people argue against the facts with those? Do you see what I mean by the disorder? How does this thing work? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and even the order of, well, uh, you get a job, and then you just get lots of stuff, and you get nicer stuff. And now you have people going, wait, wait, what was all this stuff again? Um, you literally have friends on unemployment going, uh, this isn't so bad, <laughs> right? That's, that is an assault on the order of how things used to run. You have people going, hey, wait, we've been in the house. Yeah, yeah, it's been tight. It's been tough. But also, we've, only, we've spent way less money, and we haven't gone as many places, but there are elements of it. In the midst of all the chaos and death and all the things that we are grieving, there's also been elements of it that are quite nice. Yeah, I might, I might coming out of this, we might order our lives differently because of what we experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, a lament, a lament for how things used to be. A lament for maybe even not how they were in reality, but how they sat in our brains. Uh, a lament for how we thought things were ordered. Whether they are actually ordered, how we thought they were ordered brought us some semblance of, well, order, structure. We were able to sort of make our way. And so we've had lots and lots and lots of articles, lots of news about how poorly the U.S. has handled this and how well other countries have handled it. But the spiritual implications of this lament for a previous order of things that is fading away, well, we're just on the front edge of that. And it's an ancient practice. It's an ancient expression of lament.
It's a sadness. It's a loss. Now, some of this order, and I know some of you are like, yeah, but some of this order, it's good that it's gone. It's good. I know. I know. So that's the, that's the thing hidden in the lament. That is the thing hidden in the lament. Here's what I mean. In 2006, uh, I was doing my first tour of England, and the first hotel I checked into, I go into my room, and I can't get any of the lights to work. I'm like, what is the problem with England? Like, these lights don't work in the hotel. What was the power? The power wasn't out in the lobby. So I'm searching the room, trying to figure out how to turn the lights on. I go back to the door to leave, and I see there's a little slot next to... And those of you who live in England are like, duh, <laughs> yes, but it's 2006, okay? I hadn't seen this before. There's a slot next to the door, and it's the exact size of my key. So I put my key in the slot, and the lights in my room come on, all of them, because of course I'd been going around turning the switches on that didn't work until I put my room key in the slot. And Rob Bell stands there, 2006 Rob Bell stands there next to this slot, next to the door to my hotel room. And I'm like doing the math really fast on this, right? Like, oh, yeah. So when you leave the room, you take your room key out of the slot, which means you're not going to leave any of the lights on, which means the hotel has a lower electricity bill. And I have this moment standing in that hotel room in England in 2006. How come I haven't seen this in America? That's a pretty straightforward innovation that what I imagine cut way, way down on electricity use. Why isn't this everywhere? Why is England ahead of America, which prides itself on being an exceptional land of innovation? And then I do that thing. And once again, I'm simplifying history here, but, oh, England is post-empire. Got it. England once ruled the world, but it doesn't order the world. The world isn't ordered like that anymore with England ruling the world, ruling the seas, ruling India. Oh, because empire is about the insatiable need for expansion and the consuming of massive amounts of resources in that insatiable need to expand. But if you're post-empire, you've come to see that resources aren't endless. So you've had to conserve. And what that always does is raise consciousness. Always, always, always. Oh, we should be more intentional. We should be more careful. We should look out for each other. We should use less resources. We should not leave lights on in hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you see that? You see that? You see the lament? You personally, you lose something. Something went away. You properly lament it. Who knows what new ordering is lurking in there? Yeah, yeah. See, that's why this episode isn't a downer. Because partway through, right, my friends, you were like, Rob Bell, just going crazy on America. What is the rant? What is this, talk radio? <laughs> no, no, I was going somewhere with this. I was going somewhere with this. You got to lament it. You got to lament it. You got you to give expression to that grief and loss 
and pain and disillusionment and anger and shock and contempt. You got to give expression to all that. Yeah, you got to properly go through the lament so that you can reimagine a new ordering of things. I mean, imagine, imagine what could happen out of this. Imagine if a new generation rises up. Uh, by generation, I mean people who are alive right now and says, you, we should have a better healthcare system because our health system is terrible, shockingly worse than pretty much everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, so what if a general, you know what? If we had a better health system, then a number of these things would happen. You know what? Um, we need to re completely rethink how we think about political leadership. Enough with the like celebrity personality thing. How about competence? How about moral fiber? How about people who actually are running America now, like teachers and nurses and small business owners and people who build houses? Like, how about people who actually know how to like run things in a humble, efficient sort of way? that have actually given their lives to service and to the greater good. Maybe those should be the kinds of people um, who aren't owned by corporations and really, 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 really wealthy people, right? Are you with me on this? Yeah. So you can see this pain, this disorientation, historically, going back thousands of years, these tears are watering the ground, and there are seeds in the ground there. Now, let's go from 2020 back to that river in Babylon, because it's in exile that prophets begin to imagine, well, we lost it all because we didn't take care of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, we stockpiled our wealth instead of sharing it with those who needed it. They Well, yeah, we made a complete mess of that. So, if we were to do all over again, how would we do it? So, what? like when you read the prophet Isaiah, uh, a number of the prophets, their wild visions for everybody gathering at a feast, for a way being made straight, a path, a new path that's walkable for everybody, a new kind of world where the Spirit is on people to care for the poor and vulnerable. Yeah, all of those wild imaginations that the prophets have for a new ordering of the world in which everybody's taken care of, yeah, it comes in exile. Yeah, it's they lament, and out of the lament come some of the most radical new visions for human society we've ever seen. They begin to imagine, like, what if there was a new leader who could show us a new way, a new truth, a new life in the world? They begin to imagine, like, a Messiah who would come. Yeah, 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 all that, all that. It comes because they lamented, and out of the lamentation comes new imagination for a new world. Yes! So, my friends, this has been sort of an explanation, sort of a teaching, sort of a prediction. Um, this episode, I wanted you to see this because I, I, I'm deeply convicted that that's what we're in the midst of, and that as we work through it, you're going to start to see, and there's going to be so much more grief, obviously. 
and disorientation. But as you watch it, keep remembering, lament, lament, because on the other side of a lament, you're going to start to see a reimagining, and that, whew, that could get really, really exciting. So there, my friends, this has been episode 285, We Hung Our Harps. I can't even tell you, by the way. Woo! I'm getting a little, uh, I can't even tell you how meaningful it is to record these episodes and send them out and know that you all are listening. Really is quite, yeah, quite a gift to me. So if in some small way it's a gift to you, well, then my heart just might explode with joy. Grace and peace, everyone, now more than ever.